So we have such a hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. It is incredible. And so over the past couple of weeks, and, and we're going to have one more week, where we're looking at this word, hope, H-O-P-E, and taking it apart. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about hope. The H is for hope, and that Jeremiah passage, 2911. Some of you all know it, right? How many have it on their wall at home or somewhere? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope, a hope and a future. But this hope is not some fantastical hope. It's, it's a hope that's grounded in Scripture. We looked at the Old Testament and the New Testament and the message of God around uh, that he wants us to have this abundant life, that he wants us to live this life of hope is from there to Jesus to now. It's the same message that's across time and across generations. And it's something that for us today that we can grab hold of on those difficult days. Because there will be difficult days. But we have hope in Christ because he wants us to experience this abundant life. Now, that abundant life might not always mean what we want it to mean. Can I get an amen? I've been waiting on a million dollars. It ain't happened yet. But I hope one day that that does happen. But my hope is not in that. My hope is in Christ. And that's an important distinction. The next week we, we took kind of the next step because in order for this hope to, to be born in our heart, we have to be open to change. And we used the passage out of Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and truly holy. See, this is not an easy road that we're on, this, this road of faith. And it's going to fit when we face this battle, this battle from our humanness versus the spirit, the flesh versus the things of God. And this battle is going on. We, I talked about this, this war that goes on, and, and I used the, the two wolves as an analogy for that. One wolf wants the things of the world, the wants our human side. It's the flesh part of us. The other wolf wants the things of the spirit and the things of God. And wolves happen to be territorial. And so they're doing this battle, and one of them begins to win. So that if, the, if, the, if the one that wants what it wants when it wants it, so the, once it, the flesh part of us begins to win, it pushes that spirit part down. Now, every once in a while, the spirit part comes up and says, hey, y'all really, you know, try and get it together. And says, get out of here. You know, I don't want to keep doing what I'm doing. And so, so but, but when that happens and we begin to feed that side, then it begins to, to win the battle, and pretty soon... The, the spirit side has pushed the flesh side out. But does that mean that we don't hear from this one? If we hear from it, right? It's like, hey, you ought to really go do this, even though you're not supposed to do it. <laughs> you know? And this battle goes on in our life always. And the wolf that wins is which one? The one that you feed. So what are we feeding our spirit? What are we feeding into our lives? Because when we feed the things of the spirit, when we focus on the things of the spirit, when we focus on the do's of scripture, because if we spend our time doing the do's, we won't have time to do the don'ts. So if we spend our time doing the do's of scripture, then we'll find ourselves on the right path. But this idea of a new life, is gonna, it, it, we have to be open to it, and then we have to do what this, what this week is going to talk about, which is to persevere. And our passage today is out of Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. We need to persevere. And I want to spend our time this morning not looking just on the fact that we need to persevere, and that's going to be a challenge, but how we persevere. Because that seems the bigger question, right? Because most of us understand that in life, we're going to have to face some things and challenges, so we're going to need to persevere. It's not the question. But when push comes to shove, when the rubber hits the road and the time of challenge arrives, what do we do in that moment? How do we make it through those times? And I used to write a devotional. It's called uh, This Day. And, um, and, I, and this message this week reminded me of something that I wrote actually years and years ago. Uh, when I was watching the Olympics, and it was an Olympic women's marathon. And here's what I wrote those many years ago. I was watching the Olympic women's marathon, and in particular, the British runner. She had a side-to-side wobble as she ran and looked like she might fall over at any moment. She was in the lead pack but didn't look like she was going to be there for much longer. The announcer then made the comment that this was just the way she ran, looking like she was about to die, but she was a world champion in the event. Then, after starting to fall back a bit, she quit. She sat down on the curb and started crying. Her perseverance had gone away in that moment. Her eyes were fixed on a gold medal, I suppose. And once she realized that she was not going to get it, her desire to overcome the excruciating pain of running this race must have ebbed away. There were 16 runners that did not finish. And they are all listed as finishing in 9,999th place. The place immediately in front of this group is 66th, Mongolia, Utganbayer, Lufsanhundig. I guess it's worth 9,933 places just to finish. I think for us as Christians, it will be worth far more than that. See, the first and most important step in perseverance is to not quit. Do it. Don't quit. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but it's the absolutely most essential and critical component of perseverance. We decide not to give up. It's not an easy decision. It's not something that comes easy because we're going to have days in our faith journey when we sense the absence of God. You get that? We, we sense that God's not with us. We don't have that sense of his presence. And we wonder where he is, where he went, where are you, Lord? Am I on the path? Because we were walking together and now you're missing. Where are you? And we have that going on in us, those dark night of the soul times. And we find ourselves at another one of those crazy choice points that we've been talking about for so long. That God loves us so much that he gives us the ability to choose. You can't love if you can't choose. So we have to decide. Do I give up? Or do I keep going? 
do I, in recovery parlance, do I not quit five minutes before my miracle? Don't give up five minutes before my miracle. So the first and most critical element of perseverance is simply don't give up. Don't quit. And do it. Continue. But there's more to it than that, and I know that. So what do some of you do for a living? Anybody? I'll call on you. You know that. Patrick, what do you do for a living? (laughs) Who do you work for? You work for yourself. So how did you get good at that? 20 years? Yeah, 20 years of what? Just kind of hanging out? Oh, do it. Okay. So 20 years of, of, so do you ever, you know, study any of it, learn more about what you do? Anywhere along the line was, did you have a teacher? Did you have somebody who showed you or did it just kind of happen? It just happened. (laughs) I don't think that's true. I think somebody showed you something along the way in order for you to become self-employed and have your own business and be successful at what you do. Well, you worked with somebody. You had to learn the craft and learn the trade. You weren't born with the ability to do it. You had to learn it. Right. That's a great word. We're going to hang on to that one here a little bit. How about hobbies? Anybody got a hobby that you're good at? Angel, what do you do? Running. How did you get good at running? So you just, you, you just do it, right? But you, did you one day, you know, go, I think I'm going to, you know, what's the longest you've run? A 10K. Was that your first day running? No. Why not? Oh, you would have passed out after the first mile. Yeah. Because it's that word again, right? That training. Training. How do you get good at your job, Caleb? Training and experience. So there's a common theme that if we get better at something, if we're going to become proficient at it, we must train to do so. And and that's important for us in our spiritual journey as well. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians uh, 9. He said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul knew even back then that in order to run the race in front of us, this journey of ours, this, this Christian walk, this, this walk of faith, that we're going to have to do some training. We're going to have to do some training if we're going to be successful at it. Running a marathon. I know a few of you run marathons. And, and running a marathon means spending endless hours preparing, right? You didn't just run the 10K. You had to, had to build up to it. So you had to run. You had to eat right. You, you had to do some other tr- kind of cross-training types of things in order to get to where you could run 26.2 miles. Now, I could go do that today, you know, because, like, I'm in great shape. 
Round is always a good shape. I'm less round, at least, you know, so I could go a little bit further. It doesn't <laughs> just happen because one day we wake up and say, hey, I think it would be a good idea to run a marathon today. That's not how this works. Well, living the new life in Christ that Paul's talking about doesn't just happen because we want to give it a try. It takes more than that. We have to do some training. Now, God gives us a, a lot of different ways, a lot of different tools, so to speak, many means of grace as the walk to Emmaus and face-to-face -face put it, to draw nearer to him and to grow in our faith. And I wanted to spend uh, the, some time this morning with some of those means of grace. This is from the Walk to Emmaus. I give this talk at Walk to Emmaus quite often. This is from the Means of Grace talk, but these are tools for us, and one is prayer. See, Jesus invested time every day with God in prayer. He spent time. Some of it was individual. He pulled away from the disciples to spend time just with he and the Father. Other of it was corporate. It was with his disciples and others. Prayer is, simply means living every moment with our heart open to God to live each and every moment with our heart available to God. And we are called to intercede for others, to pray for others, to, to intercede on their behalf. Prayer is powerful. It's why we do the Wednesday night service here, and, and, or the Wednesday night group, because it's a powerful time together. And you're welcome to come, even if it's just for a few minutes, to come and hang out and, and leave. That's fine. We, we end up going a little long most of the time because you think praying for an hour is going to be like, how in the world are you going to do that? And then 75, 80 minutes later, you're going, oh, I guess we should wrap up at some point. You know, prayer is powerful. Another is searching the scripture, spending time each day reading the Bible. Uh, if you drive places, then listen to, listen to the scripture, meditate on it, whatever tool you need in order to, to grow in, in, in understanding and, and then most of all, apply those truths to your daily life. It's an application thing. It's not just a, you know, a, a dead book. It's a living word for us to grab hold of. Worship. And Brother Lawrence, you know, he, he wrote a long time ago, he said, even when I wash dishes, I wash dishes as unto the Lord. And we're called to, wor for, to a, a concept of worship as a lifestyle, that whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. And that's an act of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 explain that. But Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and times and Sunday evenings with the youth, when we come together in worship, something special happens. Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, when I get up and, and almost every Sunday, I'm glad to be coming here. I, I, I message back and forth with, 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 with uh, someone and, and we're excited to be coming. See, if, if we don't center our lives in the worship of God, then we will worship something else. We must center our lives in the worship of God because the world's going to give us a lot of false gods from money to stuff to, to classes, you know, all status, all these things. The world wants to pull us away from the worship of God. And that's one of the reasons why we need this. We need to, to find spiritual friends and to participate actively in the body of Christ. Do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. This one is really a struggle for the church nowadays because there's so many things that go on in our regular world. Sunday is no longer a, a sacred day in, in, in the world outside of here. And it takes commitment to, to show up. But Jesus invested time in his disciples. He spent time with them. Uh, and for us, if we'll invest in the lives of others in an accountability group, um, 
we need to be discipled by someone or you need to be discipling uh, someone else. That's how we grow in the faith. And regular participation in a Christian community is essential. Uh, it's, it's like the charcoal. It's a famous analogy, but that charcoal that's in the fire and it's burning hot, and then you set it outside of the fire. What happens? It cools down. It goes out. It needs to be put back in the fire if it's going to burn brightly and burn for God. And for, so we need to come together and we need to celebrate together so that our fire can be br as bright as possible. Another that everybody loves is fasting. <laughs> fasting is, is a powerful means of grace that we ignore pretty much completely in the church. You know, and, and I love what, 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 this in, what this message is. This discipline can be understood as fasting from the things of earth to allow time for feasting on the things of the Spirit. Fasting on the things of earth to feast on the things of the Spirit or starve the flesh to feed the soul. So what does fasting look like? Now, food is the most common, right? So whenever you, if, if you choose to fast, and you need, if you have health issues, then just don't jump in, right? Because there's other ways to fast. But fasting, whenever you get hungry... You choose instead to, of eating, you, you choose to go to God. You go to God in prayer. You go to God in study. You, you, you spend time meditating and listening for God. So you use that craving in order to, to draw near to God. Now, there's a lot to fast from, especially nowadays. Fasting from social media. Fasting from your phone. My goodness, can you imagine how some of our youth would be just like always praying if they took their phone away and said, every time that you want to grab your phone, you're going to pray, you know? Fast from complaining. Uh-oh, I went to meddling, didn't I? <laughs> to fast from complaining about things in life. But every time that I want to complain, what do I do? I go to God. So there are many, this is a powerful tool that we largely ignore. Another is generosity. Jesus invested time and energy in the lives of others, serving and helping others. He, he was God. He is God. He would sacrifice his position to come and be with us, and he chose to serve. The Last Supper, when he grabbed the towel and wrapped it around his waist and he washed his disciples' feet, that's for us. He would have washed your feet if you happened to be at that table. Think about that. God himself would have washed your feet if you were at the table. To show you, this is what leadership looks like. It's not, what, it's not status and class and all that. It's get on your knees and, and help your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love them, whoever they are. It's powerful. We are to be servant leaders. And Jesus, had, I know we don't talk about money a lot in church because people go, oh, he's talking about money. I don't want to listen. Jesus had a lot to say about money. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. You want to know where your heart is? Take a look at your checkbook. Well, I guess that doesn't really apply anymore. Go to your online account. <laughs> Where's your heart? You know, and, and folks will tell me, they said, but Mike, no, Jesus said didn't say anything about tithing, and I'll be, you're absolutely correct. He told the rich young ruler to go, ruler to go and sell all that he had to give it to the poor and, and come follow me. So when you kind of put that in juxtaposition with 10%, it's kind of like, well, you know, I think I'll keep that tithe thing because I'd like to keep 90% of what I have. Sacred moments also occur in other ways with confession, forgiveness, 
healing, reconciliation. Confession is really at one of the powerful moments that we have in, in our Christian journey because it's a humbling act where we recognize who God is and who we are. And these are just a few of the tools in our spiritual toolbox. We get to utilize each of these in our journey. But here's the thing. I learned this in recovery because, you know, I never knew which of those tools it was that I might need on any particular day. And one of the reasons why all of these tools are so important, I don't know what day prayer is going to be the primary thing for me. I don't know what day scripture, uh, searching the scripture is going to be the thing that keeps me on track. I don't know what day it is where my accountability group isn't going to be the thing that keeps me on track or fasting or, or generosity or serving. I don't know, but isn't it awesome that we have all of these tools to help us on the journey? So it's not like a one and done. Oh, well, prayer's not working today, so I'm out. Well, then do something else because you've got a whole lot of other tools to work with. There's a whole lot of other things going on. And each one of them is designed to help us persevere. Persevere. At the end of the day, though, there's going to be times, there's going to be days when we just can't do it alone. Even with all of the training, even with our willpower, we're going to have a moment when we're going to need others to support us. I want to close my message this morning, my part of the message, with this clip from Derek Redmond at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. And I'll just let the clip speak for itself.
kind of goes without saying, you know me, I'm going to say it. <laughs> and it's inevitable that sometimes in this life, we'll all need our good, good father to pick us up and carry us to the finish line. Yeah. So let's have faith and confidence in our father. <laughs> 